we're rounding out this, this multi-month series. We've been looking at these practices of, of spiritual renewal, how to live a life of spiritual renewal, and some of these very ancient yet modern practices that Christians have engaged throughout the millennia globally across the world in order to allow their lives to not just, you know, when you meet Jesus for the first time and you're baptized and you experience the new birth, not just for that to be a one-time occurrence, but for that process of the, the once upon, that, that one-time salvation to then interact with the rest of your life of the process of him just cultivating you and, and raising you up to, to share in the very life of God through the blood of his son Jesus, through the power of the Spirit and through... Uh, the habits of, of engaging these practices, we cultivate this life among us and his grace pours it into our hearts. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at the practice of reading and engaging scripture that leads to our renewal. We have not talked about that thus far specifically, but we're gonna do that this morning. The scriptures testify that they are alive. It is a living and breathing book. It is filled with words that are inspired by God and because God is alive, his word is alive. Because God is a relational God, he constantly engages us through his scriptures to draw us to himself, to teach us about himself, and to change us to alter us continually. And therefore, as followers of Jesus, as you chase after him, if you're early in your faith, brand new in your faith, just a curious person about Jesus, or you've been walking with him in your entire life, this, this process is not yet complete. And thus, especially for those of you who've been walking with Jesus for some time, if I asked you, you know, what, what role has the scriptures played in your story? Like, share me your story as you follow Jesus. I'm sure you have something to share about one day I was reading this book and bam, this happened. God spoke, this occurred, this changed. I want to share my story um, of, of uh, how that happened to me. Uh, I have to go back to uh, the South here. I grew up in Georgia. The Bible Belt, okay? Kind of like the, the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, right? And so, to, to, I was trying to think of like, how, how do I explain how I was raised in that southern culture to view the Bible? And I think the best way to say it is, generally speaking, it was just a bunch of do's and don'ts, okay? Here's all the things you can do, but especially here's all the things you can't do, right? So don't do those things, especially, and do these things. And what happens when you do these things and this is how a church-going kind of experience was, you would one day have your nice family and you would go to church and you would, you would all be like nearly neat looking and you'd be smiley. And everything would look like it'd be great. And it's because those people obeyed what God's told them to do in the Bible. And that's the result, this nice orderly life. Um, if you don't want order in your life, if you want to have chaos and bad things to essentially occur in your life, then you, you, you're disobedient in scripture, and that's when that happens. So it was this weird, I can't say it was like a prosperity gospel, but it was a, it was a way to say like, well, I want a good life, so I need to obey the Bible, okay? And that was kind of how I was raised. And so um, 
you know, it, it, was, it was strange, a little bit, looking back, but, you know, the shame and guilt piece was very heavy, okay? And of course, as you're growing up and you enter those tumultuous teenage years, and you're trying to figure out who you are, and you're trying to figure out all these things, um, you know, when you would screw up, when you would walk in those, you know, things that the Bible says don't do, you know, and you would show up and maybe word would get out, you know, to friends or whatever, and, and the shame was just heavy, like a weight on your back. And it was, um, you know, in certain cases in my teenage years when I would do dumb things, you know, and word would kind of get out, you know, I'll be praying for you was the response, right? I'll be praying for you, kind of a pat on the back kind of thing. But when I would read the Bible, I was still kind of drawn to this because something inside of me said, I, I just, I think there's something more to this. Like I said, I said, there's something must be more to this because I don't know if I can do all those things. I surely feel like my heart wants to do the things it says I shouldn't be doing. But I was drawn to the scriptures to explore them, to, to want to understand the God who wrote them more because something in my mind wasn't quite adding up. And so what happened was it began at least by finding some certain chapters in the New Testament that were really easy to read because a lot of the Old Testament stuff I had no idea what it even said. I didn't even touch it. I'm one of the stuff that was very accessible. Okay, so that was kind of step one in my own exploration. And so I landed in, in books like, you know, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, certain chapters in those books that were just very clear to understand. For example, one chapter I memorized, like from top to bottom at like 16 years old, Colossians 3, I don't know, audio tape. Yes, tape, you know, I'm not that young anymore. Uh, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, a wrath of God is, is coming. I could understand that. For all the confusing parts of the Bible, that seemed like reachable, okay? But still, my mind read that as, here's things to do. And if I don't do it, God's wrath is coming. So even as I try to grasp onto the accessible um, parts of Scripture, and still my mind was working this do and don't see here, uh, um, mind frame, about, I was 17 or 18 when I discovered this thing called a Bible commentary, okay? Um, Bible commentaries are written by super smart Bible scholar people that help you understand what the Bible is about. And so I discovered it. I, I forget how exactly I did, but this was a series called a Holman Bible Commentary. I actually have that same commentary still on my shelf as like a testimony to this season of my life. And so I find this commentary and I want to choose a book in the Bible that I know nothing about, one that's really hard to understand ones because I wanted, I was curious. I wanted to know more of who God was. I wanted to know more of this book. And so I picked the commentary on Jeremiah. Maybe it was random. I don't know. I mean, random to me, but I think God clearly had something in mind as he led me to do this. So I picked this Bible commentary up on Jeremiah, and I'm reading it. Now, again, keep in mind, you know, the world I grew up in, a bunch of do's and don'ts. You'll have this nice, you know, neat life if you obey and a bad life if you don't. Um, I was reading about this young man named Jeremiah, who from a very early age was called by God to be a prophet to a rebellious nation and to tell them if they continue in their rebellion, God will allow an invading army in to destroy and to take away the nation in exile. And as I read every page, I read of a struggling man who would literally be weeping his soul out on every single page. 
just saying, God, this is, this is a hard job. Nobody's listening to me. And he says, I know they're not going to listen to you. Do it anyway. And he was alone. And for most of his prophetic career, he was alone. He was often arrested by the very king that he was, you know, told to go and call out his sins. He was beaten for his ministry. He was thrown in an empty well once, sinking in the mud all alone. His own family even rejected him and mocked him. And this caused Jeremiah to deeply wrestle with God. All throughout the book, his wrestling with God was there. And this is one of the most famous passages in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Just listen to this in Jeremiah chapter 20. Listen to the brutal honesty, but just the zeal for God that somehow coexists in this man's heart. He says, Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you prevailed. I become a laughing stock all day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. That was his message. For the word of the Lord had become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot. I remember reading this as an 18-year-old kid thinking, well, that life doesn't sound easy. Like, he was chasing after God but wasn't handed this neat, orderly life. This was a hard life. This was a chaotic life. This was a lonely life. It didn't fit my theological box. But then I see him wrestling with God. He's 18 years old, right? Is that crucial age. There's plenty of wrestling to do in your own heart towards God. You have those existential crises. You won't understand who you are and what God has in store for your life. And I had plenty of wrestling to do with him too because there was times in my friend's life, in my own life, where I wasn't very happy with what God allowed to occur, what God allowed to happen. I didn't know I had permission to tell him that I was angry until I read Jeremiah. And he said, Lord, you tricked me. But that was his words. So I found the voice to say, God, I, I also feel that way sometimes. But you know what I really was drawn to was that fire that he had. That said, I still don't understand, God, like what you're causing to happen. It's so difficult. But Lord, this, this word you've placed in my heart has lit me on fire. And I cannot help but stop speaking in your name. And I saw that and I said, I want that fire. I want it. Because the, the, the world I grew up in didn't quite hand me that. I want to know what fire was stirred in Jeremiah's heart. And that was the first time, friends, that the Bible wrecked me where it came alive and just put me on a different course. Not quickly, because I had, you know, time after that where I continued to try to pull away from God and to do my own thing. But that Jeremiah 20 passage, just that fire in my bones was just always burning that eventually pulled me back to God and eventually drew me to ministry. I can blame Jeremiah for that. I share this story because it's a crucial part of my story, and it's the way in which I learned by God's grace in my own life, the power of the scriptures, the power of the scriptures. I learned that these weren't mere stories 
just written down for, for pleasure or for interest or just to say, well, I need to do this now. These were stories that are, are, are meant to get into our heart, into our imagination, that brings conviction, brings challenges, brings reorientation, brings joy, brings blessing, all these things with a goal, as we're going to see this morning, that it changes you, that it transforms you. Not just your behavior, but the innermost parts of your heart. So this morning we're going to be looking at the reading of the Bible in our lives as a spiritual practice. It's easy to lose this. It's easy just to kind of pick up and just kind of read the Bible and then just shut it, right? And not let it do its work. And so this series will cover many avenues, right? We've talked about fasting. We've talked about all sorts of things, Sabbath keeping this, this uh, series. But I want to look at, you know, this practice of reading the scriptures and first give you a biblical example of the power of the scriptures in someone else's life in scripture to show you what, what happens when, when we rediscover this. Because maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking like, yeah, you know, if you've been walking with Jesus for some time, maybe you had that time in your life that was that powerful that just you were wrecked and your life was just kind of aimed this way, but now it's aimed this way. Maybe you have that life, but maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's been a while since you can give a story that that's happened to you, Right? Maybe you're in the midst of that season, you're like, yes and amen, tell me more, this is happening now and I want it, or maybe it's never happened in your life. And maybe there's a stirring inside that says, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for what you're talking about. Well, I'm going to look at the, a story of the power of the scriptures inside of the scriptures. There was a time in the, the story of Israel when the Bible got lost, all right? Like literally, they just kind of lost it over the course of time. Imagine that. Like, imagine the church today just kind of losing this, okay? But that's what, that's what happened. And they found it by accident, all right? So there was a king about 600 years before Christ named Josiah, and he was remodeling the temple. And um, let's read this together, Second Kings 22, 8 through 13. So as they were, like, remodeling the temple, doing some, you know, renovation work, Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I found the Bible. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your service has emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. <laughs> a book. I just, it's kind of a funny thing, right? It's like, oh, we found the Bible. Oh, we should probably give this to the king. Hey, I found a book, king. You should probably read this. Verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So as they found this book and they started reading it, I mean, we assume they probably had some moral or uh, some like oral history passed down. Most people couldn't read. You know, there weren't copy machines to make copies of the Bible. So, you know, scrolls were precious and rare. 
And so, yeah, they probably have stories passed down to them about this God, this, this Yahweh who worked miracles in the past, but the law itself had not been read in some time. It had been lost. And I want, I want to pay attention to verse 11 when he first hears the Bible, first hears the words of the law. What is his response? He tears his clothing. Now that, that action there is, is, is a symbol of mourning. Like he's in mourning as if somebody just died, right? He's ripping his clothing. His spirit was actually just crushed of hearing this. This is one role the Bible has in our life. As the living and breathing word of God, it exposes us. It exposes us before the holiness of God. Have you ever felt exposed before? And my wife loves us to expose this part of my story because when I was a teenager, I was rather obsessed with the Rocky Balboa movies. Not like casually, kind of like, I was like obsessed. You know what I mean? So much so, I had like a five foot stand up cardboard cutout in my room of Rocky that at nighttime, if you walked by, it would always freak you out because you're like, who is staring at me in the dark? Nobody, it's just Rocky. I had like a, a robe that was like from the first movie, like a, I spent way too much money on like a, like a memorable thing. It was bad, okay? Our first date, this is a true story, was in Philadelphia. I never seen the, the Rocky Steps. Where did I take her? Hey, honey, let's go to Philadelphia so I can see the Rocky Steps. And the, true story. And she loves to share that story. That's a silly example, right? Of when you feel, you know, exposed before people, something silly in your life. But when it comes to between us And God, it's hard to understand the holiness and purity of God as opposed to our own failures and sin. The scriptures have this role of shining a flashlight into our own darkness that runs very deep in our own hearts, that runs wide, the darkness that circles and storms about within us that we often try to suppress We often try to keep in there, or when it does kind of seep out, it ends up wreaking havoc and wreckage on us. And the scriptures have the role of of kind of getting our own eyes and saying, look, feel exposed before God. He's surfacing this stuff inside of you so that you can no longer just cast a blind eye to it. That's what happened with Josiah. Step one, he was in mourning over his own sin And secondly, over his own people, his own nation, which leads him in verse 13. He began seeking the Lord. He called people together. He said, guys, we need to start talking to God here. Like, we got to start inquiring of the Lord. We need to hear from him right now. Verse 13, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah, considering the words of this book that has been found. Even though he realized his own brokenness and the nation's brokenness after hearing the scriptures, something interesting to note here, he's discovered something, that God was actually reachable. He wasn't far off. He wasn't some distant, you know, deity that just shows up every now and then. He realized that through the actual words of scripture that God was accessible. He goes, man, we, we got to talk to this, our God. Like, we, we got to inquire of him. He's actually near. He's here we got to start speaking with him. So he began himself on behalf of the nation pursuing a living relationship 
to this God, to inquire of him and to hear his voice. His brokenness didn't just leave him broken. It left him with a desire to be mended by the one who can only mend us from our own sin. This is a strange journey of scripture that I've experienced in my life. Like reading the scripture and and, and it exposes your own sin. And it's never fun. It's never fun to be exposed. But there's an element that if you know who Jesus is and the life he has to offer and the kind of salvation that he provided for us, there's this weird way in the sense So when you look at the scriptures, you say, this doesn't feel good, but Lord, I need you to keep doing this thing. Like, I need you and I want you to keep exposing my sin, even though it hurts. But Lord, like, keep this up. I want to be more, I need to be more like you. Lord, keep doing this kind of work. There's nothing more glorious and just like a moth to just a light that just draws a sin. If you get a glimpse of the holiness of God, there's nothing else that can just draw you in and say, I want to see and to look upon that and I want to share in that. And lastly, verse 14, he became aware that because of the sin, God was actually against this nation, as the book of the law said. And that was the thing that sparked a renewal movement amongst Israel. A, a legit revival, an actual spiritual renewal across the nation. King Josiah then gathered the nation together. We won't read all of this. You can read it on your own time. But he gathers the nation together. He has the scriptures, just as they were read before him, read to the nation He begins removing all these pagan worship elements that crept in among the people and the nation experienced revival. Why? Because they found this and read it. And God showed up and he transformed. It's one of the most intense and amazing renewal stories in all of scripture. To remind ourselves of the power of scripture here, Hebrews 4, 12, 13, it's a famous portion of scripture that describes this. It says, The word of the Lord is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." God's word is alive and is active because it is the vehicle that God himself, who is very much alive and active, primarily speaks and communicates to us. And when God communicates through his word, he pierces the soul. He starts splitting things inside of us you do not know could be splitted. That's the idea of splitted. That's not a word. Split. My wife is taking notes of my uh, poor grammar as she's still in the room here. I am from Georgia. I said that before. He splits the things within us that we didn't know could be splitted when his word enters our hearts. And this is the role of scripture, friends, in our life. We're on the back end of our sermon now. This is a role of scripture. Like we don't just read this for a few minutes a day and say, I did my duty. Right? You don't just memorize this for the sake of stuffing your head with knowledge. You engage this to have an encounter with God that he may transform you. And that has to be your intent going forward. 
Like your intent to read this to say, I know this is alive. I'm going to treat it as if it's alive. I know this is inspired by you. I'm going to treat it as if it is. I mean, imagine sitting before God himself, right? You will be listening. You would say, I want to hear everything you have to speak to me. And I want myself to be challenged and to be changed by being in the presence of God himself. And so when we're sitting in scripture, allow his word to speak to you and treat it as such. The result will be transformative, and that's the intention. I want to look at a few, uh, a few more minutes here at another passage um, in 2 Timothy 3.16. What we're going to see is Paul's uh, kind of one of his last charges of Timothy. Is he, he's going to describe this kind of cloud of people in his life who were changed by the scriptures. And there's a phrase I'm going to use to describe this. Like, we don't just read the Bible, we let the Bible read us. Say it again. We don't just read the Bible, we let the Bible read us. And Paul is about to point out a whole bunch of people in Timothy's life that don't, weren't just readers of the Bible, but let the Bible read them, and their life was changed by it, and this brought a tremendous impact on Timothy's life. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's kind of look at this carefully. Verse 16 is kind of the capstone verse in this, in this portion. But beginning in verse 10, he, he, he kind of for a minute says, Timothy, like, I want you to remember me. Remember my, when I lived among you and ministered among you? You've, you've followed my teaching, my conduct, the way that I live, my aim in life, my own faith, my own patience, my love, my steadfastness, Paul's you know, persecutions and sufferings that happened to him as a result of his committing himself to the word of God and his calling in life. And as he's writing this, this is kind of his famous farewell um, you know, letter here. Um, right before this passage, he, he is talking about people who were kind of uh, around him and the danger of kind of coming into the church whose lives were not shaped by the scriptures, not shaped by the holy sacred writings that were passed down. And you can read the, the ways in which they were shaped. He's kind of warning them, saying this, is, this cannot be the way of a follower of Christ. This cannot be the kind of life that is found amongst a follower of Christ. Remember the way that I, I tried to live among you. Remember my conduct, my way of life, my aim, etc., and so forth. He wants them to be reminded that as you look at the end of this passage, what, what is Paul kind of saying? That the, the scriptures shaped me. First off, 
The scriptures shape me. And look at verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Who else did Timothy learn this from? It wasn't just Paul. We know in the other letter, his grandmother was absolutely key in raising Timothy up in the faith. And Paul's saying, it's not just me, there's other people in your life that you learn this from, right? Continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from you have learned it. From a childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings. Because he, he's saying that their life, unlike these other people who were trying to maybe talk about Jesus, but their lives were nothing shaped like his. He's saying, you got to remember the people that didn't just teach it, but they were shaped by the things that they taught. And the scriptures was the foundation for this. The real true result of consuming the scriptures is this transformative work in our life. That's why Paul said, look at its result in my own life. Look at the result in the life of those who raise you up in the faith. And remember that you yourself have been reading these scriptures your whole life and realize the impact it's had on your life. So that this is happening because scriptures God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The, the, the way that Eugene Peterson um, translated this in his uh, translation, The Message, I really enjoy. should be on the screen behind us. He says, Every part of scripture is God-breathed and is useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live in God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God gives us. I want to return to the beginning of, of, of the sermon today. I shared a lot of my own story with the scriptures and how it changed it. And we're getting a, a kind of a, a glimpse behind the curtain here at Timothy's own story and how the scriptures shaped his story. He grew up in church. He heard the Bible from his own family, from others. He saw it on display in the life of Paul and the display uh, in the life of others. In other words, Timothy didn't just learn it, right? Before we, we, we take one step further to look at other people's lives and we, we end our time today, I want to make one thing very clear. When we talk about how the scripture changes us, we can't say, I don't want you to leave here and say, all right, so I just need to go home and kind of like grip my teeth and just strengthen my will and start doing the things the Bible says. No, it's not what I'm saying. Because you'll find yourself in the same predicament I was at in my youthful years, realizing I can't, <laughs> I'm trying, and I stink at this, and I can't do this. So what is the answer? How, how do we let this transform us? Some of the more spiritual masters, if you will, who have really um, leaned into this and have written so much about this topic um, have, have, have said similar things about this, and this is of testimony straight from the scriptures. Uh, Richard Foster, in his amazing book, Celebration of, Discipline, Celebration of Discipline, points out the clear biblical teachings, the inner righteousness or inner rightness is a gift from God that we graciously receive. It is a gift from God that we graciously receive. The Apostle Paul, Romans 5, 17 says this, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
This sort of teaching, says Foster, is all over the scriptures. The prophet Habakkuk in the Hebrew scriptures affirms this, saying, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous will not live by the strength of their will. No, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, as we seek to be transformed by scripture, this transformation will not come about through a gritting of our own teeth and trying really hard. Rather, says Foster, because this rightness of God is a grace, because this righteousness that he offers us through his son is a grace to be received by faith through Jesus Christ, to quote Foster, he says, these disciplines, like reading the scriptures and meditating on it and, and um, allowing it to read us, these disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Do you, guys, do you guys catch that? When we engage these practices, especially the reading of Scripture, we are putting ourselves before God in submission to say, Lord, do your work in my own heart. But you have to be willing for him to do it. And that's so crucial. You have to put yourself in front of him to say, Lord, I need you to do your work. I need, I want to open up my heart for you to do your work. Just what Josiah did when he ripped his clothing after hearing the words of scripture. He placed himself before God to say, Lord, I'm broken. I need you to work now in my life. Transform me. And that's where renewal can begin in our life. So as we close, I'm gonna ask a few questions. And soon we're gonna take communion here. Pastor Jim's gonna lead us. When we understand this about the scriptures in the Bible and the scriptures become a regular part of our lives, when you think of your story, your life with God, the role of the scriptures will have a prominent place in your story of how you are being shaped and have been shaped. Um, there's a couple of uh, 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 people, quotes I want to share, because um, all throughout history, for thousands of years, people have encountered this book and through this book encountered the living God and have been transformed. I want to read just a handful of quotes. I could, I could read hundreds of these and I had to resist myself to not just like spend 20 minutes like talking about this part because um, it's amazing to read the work of God in other people's lives. But I want to first just read Psalm 119, um, a, a portion from Psalm 119. I want you to think about this. I'm going to read this. Think about we don't know the story behind this, but surely there's, a, surely there's a story. Listen. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. Straight out of the psalm, Psalm 119. The unfolding of your words give me light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. We don't know the story behind that phrase. But man, you can imagine when the psalmist wrote that down. He was thinking that time he was sitting over there, or praying over here, or whatever it was. And God just wrecked him. And his word unfolded in his own heart and the light of God shone. And he pinned those words down. We don't have that story, but I guarantee you there was one there. I'm gonna read some quotes now from people in church history they had a similar encounter through God from, uh, fr uh, encounter of God through the scriptures. Justin Martyr, a church father, living, a church father living just a little over 100 years after Christ. That's what he says. 
I could wish that everyone making a resolution like mine would not keep themselves away from the words of Jesus. For they possess a terrible power in themselves and are sufficient to inspire those who turn aside from the path of righteousness with all. One of the sweetest rest is given to those who make the diligent practice of the Savior's words. Elizabeth Elliot, the famous wife of the killed missionary Jim Elliot, had to say, the word of God I think of often is a straight edge which shows up, which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it with the straight edge of Scripture. There's a story behind that, right? We know that. She experienced that in her own life. This is a, a kind of a humorous one from actually the novelist Mark Twain. Most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture they do not understand. But the passages that bother me are those I do understand. There's a story there. He had an encounter there. So this is hard. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, who's more brilliant than most people could ever be and comes to the scriptures, this is always what he simply had to say. The Bible is the book of my life. It is the book I live with, the book I live by, and the book I want to die by. There's a story there. Charles Spurgeon, a famous 19th century British pastor, Some people like to read so many chapters every day of the Bible. I would not dissuade them from the practice, but I would rather lay my soul a soak in half a dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in the text of Scripture and let it be sucked up in your very soul till it saturates your heart. There's a story there of an encounter with God. I could read, just, I can keep going, but I'm going to stop. The invitation this morning is, is this shaping you? Has it shaped you? But more importantly, is it shaping you now? Is this a central component of your journey to know God and to be empowered through his spirit? Are you soaking yourself in the scriptures? Are you allowing yourself to sit with the open book and your hand stretched out and say, Lord, I'm going to read this not just to put information in my brain, but Lord, transform me through this. Breathe into me, Holy Spirit. Dwell in my heart through these scriptures. Lord, allow these scriptures to permeate my soul. Would you cultivate and stir in my heart a hunger to hear your voice and to seek you through your words? We will be transformed, friends, through this regular daily practice of soaking yourself in the scriptures. And so as we close now, it's time for communion. And I want to call up Pastor Jim now as he's going to lead us in communion.